Hello and welcome back to Experable. Today I am sharing with you my conversation with Dr. Tara Suvinyachi Jaiporn. She's an expert in sexual and relational communication, a tenured professor at California State University. Her groundbreaking research showcased in her textbook, Sexual Communication, Research in Action, has earned her many awards and recognition. Our guest is also a co-host and sexpert on the UK's popular TV show, Celebs Go Dating. As a sex and relationship coach, Dr. Tara also hosts the acclaimed Love Bites by Dr. Tara, a podcast focusing on sexual wellness and exploration. Her influence spans various media outlets, including features in KTLA News, Cosmopolitan, Forbes, and her own column, Sexplore with Dr. Tara in Women's Health Magazine, UK. A TEDx speaker, she presented a talk titled, Become Sexually Powerful, that shared her learnings from her 5,000 participant study examining predictors of sexual satisfaction and her journey from an anxious immigrant to a confident sexpert. Her life's goal is to normalize sex talks and help people live a more passionate life and feel more sexually fulfilled through confidence and communication coaching. With a massive social media following, Dr. Tara is one of the most influential sex and relationship experts online. In our conversation, we discussed what it means to be sexually powerful, how sex positivity has been misunderstood, leading to some very unhealthy behavior, We talked about sexual communication and agency, body neutrality, impact of physical attractiveness on sexual performance, unconditional love in romantic relationships, and qualities typical to sexually confident male and female individuals. Now, if you're ready, let's dive in. Welcome back to Experable. I'm your host, Krati Mehra. And in this show, we learn from the success and struggles of people we admire and dive deep into concepts that help us expand the possibilities available to us so we can freely, boldly design the life we desire, discover the depth and breadth of our capabilities, access the wisdom available in the world around us, and even on really bad days, love what we see in the mirror. Are you ready? Let's go. When you say sexually powerful, what do you mean? And also, to what extent does your sexual confidence impact your life? Wow, I love that question because that's literally the essence of what I teach on a daily basis. For me, being sexually powerful is comprised of two aspects. The first aspect is within me. So my comfort level of my own sexuality, my desires, my boundaries, my body, and how I show up in the world as a sexual being. Most of us have reproductive system. Most of us are sexual beings. And the reason why the world is the way is what it is right now is because we have been populating. We've been having sex. So for me, The first part of being sexually powerful is being comfortable with all of those aspects within yourself. And I've spent a long time working on that part of myself. I think whenever I have a conversation with people, they often provide tips that are more external, like try this position or wear a lingerie. To me, positions or lingeries, they're both great, but none of them is necessary for the true confidence that you feel on the inside to be sexually powerful. So that's the first aspect. The second aspect is the expression, because I strongly believe that true sexual liberation is from sexual communication. Are we actually sexually liberated if we can have lots of sex with lots of different partners, but we cannot talk about it, right? I think that the word sex positive has been used by some people in a misconceived way. You know, being sex positive doesn't mean have sex 
all the time with a lot of people. And if that's what you consciously choose to do, that's okay. But a lot of times these people are not consciously choosing to do that, right? They're doing it because they want to prove they're sex positive. Sex positivity to me, a lot of it comes from expression and the ability to communicate for your own sexual needs, desires, and boundaries. In class, we teach students about this concept called sexual agency. Having agency over your own sexuality and your body is extremely important in being, you know, a sexually healthy adult. So that part is related to this second aspect, which is expression. Communicating with yourself, communicating with your partner, communicating with your friends, and the ability to express your sexual desires as well as like your gender identity right like a lot of times when you talk to lgbtq folks that have their like in the closet stories they will tell you it's hard to ever feel sexually confident or powerful when a huge part of you which is your gender identity is completely hidden so yeah The way you're able to express your gender identity is also a very important part of being sexually powerful. So yeah, those are the two aspects. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you something about what you mentioned there. So we have, we're seeing in the world right now, everything is becoming, you know, people are sexualizing everything. It's a legitimate concern where they are wondering how much, you know, access to sexual content their children have, because it's, it's literally everywhere. Do you think that that's the right move? putting sex everywhere that's is do you think that's necessary to to make everyone in the world more sex positive or is there like a healthier better way because i would think that someone who's not yet ready to talk about sex like a young kid would you know exposed to that kind of content could confuse them could push this topic into their life before they're ready yeah so i think we should distinguish good exposure to a healthy sex life versus exposure to like hardcore porn, right? right? There is a difference between, let's say, watching a movie like Sex Education, seeing, you know, a mother who is a sex therapist living her sexually liberated life, teaching her son to be more sex positive, right? Watching that show versus watching hardcore porn is very different types of sex positivity exposure. So I think it's very important to first distinguish like, yes, there's a lot of shit information about sex and should never be close to children. And it's sad that it is rampant and it's everywhere on the internet. And you know, the the place that you get it the most is actually on X, uh, Twitter. Because that's Twitter is where all like these young people get free porn and like they're they're not regulated. So there's a lot of misinformation on there. Now, that's a whole different conversation about like policy and like how apps should regulate their content. Anyways, so the first point is there is good information and there's bad information. And then there's mediocre like in between information. I believe good information is good for starting the age like of a teenager. Research found that a lot of adolescents started playing with themselves or kind of gaining a self-understanding of their body and sexuality at the age of 12 to 13. So for me, having, you know, sex, positive sex education or positive sex content when you're 13 is helpful rather than making it a hidden shameful topic. Now, I don't think anyone should be exposed to hardcore porn literally until like 21 when you're a young adult and you can choose for yourself like, oh, hey, I love hardcore sex. Like, I'm going to watch this. Like, cool, you go watch it. That's your choice. You know, like the beautiful part of living in certain places in the world is freedom. So go do that if you want to. But yeah, I don't think that it's helpful for anyone. Like being someone who was exposed to very intense pornography since I was 
maybe about 15. I don't think it helped me at all <laughs> in feeling more sexually confident as an adult. Because back then, I mean, I'm 35 now. So when I was 15, the internet was a very different place. And the people that I saw on these video clips were just performing. And they were all these like skinny, perfect body people, men with huge penises, and it's fake performance. But, you know, being 15, like you don't know, you just think that that's a real, that's a way that real people have real sex. So yeah, it became problematic. I think, you know, to be real and, and authentic about my experience is that was problematic for me because I, I believe for a long time that that's the way I should look like when I have sex with someone. Right, right. And there's everything you've said that makes a lot of sense. And I think that is something for parents to consider or the caretakers to consider because I didn't know that that X is where there's a lot of unfiltered porn. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good information to have. But there's another aspect of this conversation, which I think about a lot, which is the sexual image of yourself that you form. Because I remember being very, very young. I think I was 11 years old when I started reading Ayn Rand. I read Fountainhead at a very early age, Atlas Shrugged. And both of those books have very strong ideas about who you should be sexually attracted to and what sex should mean to you. I was so young at the time. While these neither of these two books have any sex, any like actual graphic sex, sexual content in it, these books are on different topics. But they were like the characters did have sexual relationships and there was some ideology around sex. And that stuck yeah. with me. That stayed with me. I grew up with that idea because that idea appealed to me so much that you, who you are sexually attracted to you speaks to your values, speaks to who you are on an intellectual, mental, emotional level, speaks to the capacity you have. And people who sleep with multiple partners or flirt with, even with multiple partners are insecure people and they are trying to feel, make themselves feel good by doing this, indulging in this kind of behavior. That stayed with me, but it wasn't until I became an adult and actually was out in the world and dating that it, it hit me that <laughs> that is there with me. It is so, nobody ever met my standards because of that ideology, that philosophy. It it was, I was still something that I learned at the age of 11 when I wasn't even a sexual being. I wasn't aware of, I didn't even understand what all of that meant. But that impacted yeah. me so deeply that it was like 12 years later, I was still thinking about it. It was I was still running everything. My experience is through that filter. So that is the other aspect of it. You talked about sexual agency. You, you are someone who is helping people, you know, live their, design their sex life in a way that is most helpful to them, that actually allows them to indulge in their desires. But I often wonder how much of what we are wanting to have in our sex life, wanting to do in our sex life, isn't even about us. It's not even about our desires. It's about some idea we've picked up, perhaps at a young age, and we are still running with that idea without ever stopping to think that maybe this is not me, and maybe this pressure is unnecessary. So talk to me about that. If how how do you work through that? How do you first of all identify what sort of pressures, expectations you've placed upon yourself and you are now placing on whoever it is that you're choosing to sleep with or marry or whatever, be sexually involved with basically? And how do you get that agency back where it's all it's about you? That's a really good question. And the way you prep for this question is fascinating because you gave like that example. And I have a similar example of how like the things I learned when I was younger kind of inform my behaviors in my 20s. But now in my 30s, I am completely free of those social expectations through the work that I've done on myself with a lot of help. So I can definitely talk about this topic. First off, like, you know, sex and the expect and cultural societal expectations for sex isn't the only topic that's like an epidemic in our society. I think one thing that I have observed personally, as well as I've seen in multiple statistics, is the failure of monogamous marriages. And that is the idea so strong that it was embedded in us for thousands of years that that's what you should want. Dating apps is a $100 billion industry full of people 
looking for the one, hoping for happily ever after. But then, oh, it wasn't happily ever after. That's okay. Here's also another app for divorced people to find each other. <laughs> right. Oh, never mind. That didn't work either. Here's another app for old people to find each other. Here's another app for people who have dogs. For Here's another app for people who have two plus children. Like, you know, so I think, I think that modern society has really capitalized in the idea of romanticism and being with one person forever. But based on my professional experience, as well as undeniable statistics, it doesn't actually happen in real life. You know, the divorce rates and the breakup rates of long-term relationships is very high. So at least for half the people in the world that gotten a divorce, like that is one idea that we were instilled since young age. That is completely bullshit. The same way as both ideas of one is keeping ourselves, quote unquote, pure and like losing our virginity on the first night of marriage, like saving myself from my husband. That idea is also bullshit. But also the idea of, oh, I'm going to have sex with everyone I come across because you know what? I'm a sex positive person. I express my sexuality freely. I'm a free woman. Like that's also bullshit. <laughs> So ultimately, I had to find my own path of what is it? And I like that you use the word design your sex life or design your life because I am a big proponent of freedom and like you do you. <laughs> like yeah. even when I coach people, I never go, oh, here's a blueprint to a perfect relationship. Do these five things, right? I always go, well, what kind of a relationship do you want? Because I don't think you want the kind of relationship that I want. So what what is it that you want? So when we talk about designing your relationship and your sex life, it's always helpful to go back to the idea of what feels good in my body. Have you ever had this conversation about body intelligence? Like how your body tells you and like when you make a big mistake. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. yeah, somatic intelligence. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, like your body knows. And like, you know, if you're dating someone and you keep getting like rashes or like, you know, you're nauseous, <laughs> yeah. you have to throw up or you just don't feel comfortable in your body. You have a knot in your stomach. Like don't date that person. <laughs> you're, it's your body rejecting and telling you this is not good for you. So... What I had learned throughout my 20s and until now, and I'm still learning, is to trust my body and listen to it more and tuning in more. And this is my superpower is I'm able to tune in often, like daily I tune in and listen to my body and what I need and then enact it in real life. I would say that's my real superpower is I'm able to slow down and listen to myself. Now, what does that look like? Let's say you're a 25-year-old, 30-year-old woman and you want to explore your sexuality and you don't know if what you want is societal pressure or is it really you. I would say an exercise that helped me and helped many of my clients is writing down 10 things that you desire in a relationship and in your sex life. Right. Now, after you write these 10 things down, I want you to write, where does it come from? So for example, some places where it comes from are not toxic, right? Like, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. I am a very sexually liberated person. Like, for, what's another word? Sexually liberal. Like, I have sex with other people. My partner and I are in a monogamous relationship. So we are only committed to one another. We don't date anyone else. But yes, we do go to play parties and, you know, we watch other people have sex. So for us, that's like a fun, playful activity that mm -hmm. doesn't hurt anybody because everyone's there consensually. But before I am in this marriage, I was in another marriage. So I was married before. And this was a person that I thought was a good partner for me, right? Um, but then I realized after I wrote down, you know, what I want in a relationship is like a playful, sexually playful relationship that may or may not involve others. Um, and then I realized like, oh, I was in this previous marriage before when I was younger. And my husband, even though was a great person, 
is nothing that like matches what I actually want. It was actually what my parents wanted for me. He was a rich finance guy. He had a house on the beach. He loved Thailand, where I'm from. He's a Buddhist. So he was checking every box. But, you know, when I really tune into my body, how do I feel in my body when I think of him, when I take deep breaths and I think of him? How does my body react? Not so good. (laughs) Right, right. And then then I realized through this exercise, like, okay, this is what I want. Where does it come from? Like, does it come from my parents? Does it come from my culture? Does it come from my religion? Or does it just come from me? Because I'm that kind of person. So I think this exercise can help a lot of people if you actually like sit down and spend time to do it. Yeah, I think so. I agree with you. I think it's important to like, as and when you're venturing into this area of your life to just forget everything you've heard uh, your whole life and just tune in. Like you said, listen to your body, listen to what you, you want at an instinctual, at a physical level instead of letting all of those narratives run. I know how much those narratives have affected me. And yeah, I just always felt pressure to have your sex life be a certain way. And it just, it, it feels impossible. I mean, men used to have so much pressure on them because men always felt like they have to project this very masculine, very sexual image. And I, I don't know how li- they lived with it for so long. And But now even women feel like a certain degree of boldness and confidence is about our sexuality. So wearing certain type of clothes that maybe they don't feel comfortable in or behaving in a certain way or projecting a body language, it's such bullshit. I mean, why is, why do you have to do that? If that is you, then do do that. And if not, then do whatever feels comfortable to you. I think that would be, that that is, I think, true confidence to me, being able to, you know, do things, live life in an authentic way, channel your Yeah, 100%. And there was this one question I asked you, to what extent do you think sexual confidence impacts your life? So much. My sexual confidence. But I think it's also because of like what I do too. You can see like direct benefit. But I strongly believe that for everybody to be sexually confident, it will benefit in every aspect of life. It will benefit you with the work that you're doing because sexual confidence again like to fuse uh western and eastern philosophies a little bit like sexual confidence based on you know a lot of the neo tantric like teachings comes from your sacral chakra right which is the kind of like the tummy area the reproductive system and i like strongly believe that your sacral chakra like shines through all the chakras you know through the middle part of your body and help you um deal with emotions better help you communicate better through your throat help you think clearer honoring your boundaries and your desires and then help you transcend um into the person that lives in a flow so in my life as an example because of sexual confidence i am able to manifest and fulfill my own manifestations and accomplish all these things you know i usually say it's sex magic because i say them and i think about the things that i want while i like masturbate and like it becomes true about not to discount my own you know work ethic i work I work hard for the things that I have. At the same time, I do think because I'm so confident and comfortable in my own skin, most negative negative things in life like don't face me, right? So if I post a video and someone's like, oh, did you gain weight? Actually, I, I recently posted a video that was like an orgasmic day in life and it's kind of like a sex positive humor I wake up, I say, I just masturbated. I'm going to go to the gym. I go to the gym and I wear my gym clothes. And I saw a couple of comments that are like, oh my, like, are you pregnant? You look fat. So in my head, you know, of course, the first idea, the first thought is like anger, right? Like the first thought is like, how dare you? But then the thought that comes over quickly and replace that thought for me was actually... 
I don't care. <laughs> was actually just, you know, it, I really don't care. It doesn't phase me. I, it, you know, I'm so sexually comfortable and comfortable with my body that it's okay. Like, it's okay that they think that I might be pregnant or that I'm fat that day. And I just responded, not pregnant, just bloated. Right. Um, And to me, that is how I can express my sexual confidence too, not just through having sex. So yeah, I'd say a lot of a lot of the things I have accomplished in life, I think partially it's because of my sexual confidence. Yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with you. Thank you for uh, sharing that. And yeah, it's it's exactly like that. I think a lot of us think that if we lack sexual confidence and it just impacts our sex life, but I think it impacts how you show up in the world. I, I experienced that for myself and uh, it, it makes it, and especially if you can get to that place of, I don't care, my body, my sex life, it's all about me. It's not about what you see <laughs> and exactly. what your perception is. I think that is a great, great place to be that dominates my life. Anytime I try to care, it just like within five to seven seconds i'm like that it's i don't have the energy for this i never have the energy for this yeah I, that that's my hope like everybody can get to that place where it's about doing the right thing it's about doing the healthy thing it's about doing the thing that makes you happy and not giving a fuck about what everyone else is saying or thinking or perceiving who cares preach yeah exactly <laughs> exactly i stand for everything that you just said i think it's so important that everyone gets a chance to observe if they are living the life that they actually want. <laughs> such a such a privilege like to get to do it. Because you know, like I I have observed my parents my whole life and they're both my idols in different ways. Like I admire my parents. I'm obsessed with them. They're amazing people <laughs> and have accomplished so much. However, I wonder sometimes if they have ever thought about whether that's the life they had wanted or because, you know, previous generations and they will tell you this too. Like old, older people love telling you like at uh, during our time, we didn't have a choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I completely understand. I'm very grateful, but my parents, I, you know, my mom was in finance and my dad was in law. And I would think that they did not want that life because they seem like when I was young, they seem like a lot of times they were just too turned off. Like they were too stressed out. They were too overwhelmed. They were, you know, and so I'm comparing that to like the life that I get to live. And a lot of my friends that are living their dreams um, in this generation. Yeah, we have stressful days, of course. Like if I'm reviewing a contract or whatever, like it's stressful, you know, or if people fuck me over <laughs> on yeah, a deal, like it's stressful. However, 95% of the times we are living our dream. Like we live our dream and every day we get to do what we love. And, and this is the life that I chose. And I think a lot of people in previous generations, but also now are not necessarily living the life that they choose and i'm not saying you have to choose like an entrepreneur life or this life that life it can be whatever one of our friends is this engineer guy at boeing and he has a nine-to-five job like he drives to work he works on the computer some mod like some plane modeling walk around look at the plane talk to co-workers you know go and then drive home and then hang out with his kids and we often cite him as like just one of the happiest people we know because number one, he loves planes, even though he has to do like paperwork calculations on the computer, which he doesn't love. But ultimately, he gets to work at Boeing. And number two, he has a thankful practice. So like every morning, he tells himself like how grateful he is for the life that he has for his wife, his kids, his job, even though he has a nine to five job that I think in our current modern society, like we talk shit a lot about nine to five, which we really like, don't need to. And then thirdly, I think what he really excelled at is prioritizing the things that matter. So spending time with his kids, you know, taking his wife on a date, reading more books about old planes, 
and all of these things like i i always see this person and he lives a very traditional modest life like they don't make a lot of money his wife doesn't really work so like it's a single income household which is nowadays not very common mm-hmm. but he's so happy <laughs> Every time we see him, he's happy. You know, every time we're like, "Hey, how's it going?" He's like, "Oh man, fantastic! I just <laughs> read this book, or I just take my, I just took my son to like a toy shop, or whatever it is." It's like a very simple life and yeah. very simple things, but yet he's one of the happiest people I know. Yeah, there is such truth to what you just shared. There's such wisdom there. It is such a privilege to be to. be able to completely direct your life so if you are i mean of course there are still people who are in environments that are just totally horrible where they really truly don't have a choice you know and that's a different that's a different story but those are extreme cases most of us have a lot of choices you know pro- depending on where we live and you you got to make the best use of it if you're still finding yourself angry and um mad at the world then perhaps you need to as you said listen to what your you desire what your body wants and just simply take one two three four five steps one at a time to to in that direction and you don't have to be miserable we just get so angry when somebody says no you have to work 12 hours a day or somebody says no 9 to 5 sucks why why the reaction why this extreme reactivity <laughs> to things just do what you think is best obviously whatever that other person is saying it's their truth and they're not going to change their truth for your benefit <laughs> you do you don't get so mad about everything <laughs> So true. Exactly. The sad part is I think the people that do get upset about other people are probably the people that are not very happy. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. And and that they need the most help. Yeah. You know, whenever I encounter um mm, I guess comments in the videos or people that give me, you know, negative feedback on like these sex positive content some of my team members will go like well fuck them like you know let's just delete them or block them but in my mind i actually think the opposite i think wow because this person left this comment they probably need this the most so true like let's not block them let's allow them to see the content and you know maybe we can hide the comments whatever it will be more work for us but at the same time maybe through this exposure they will slowly change their minds and attitude towards this topic so yeah i i don't usually just like cancel other people because they don't agree with me i try to take time to well maybe just just listen to it you know you don't have to like it let's see let's see what happens in maybe a year maybe two years maybe you'll realize like oh wow tara has a great point <laughs> so yeah so true that's so kind true. of a, my my approach to it is tolerance yeah your content is definitely very welcoming your instagram page is very welcoming so i think it's it's a very safe good environment and i would encourage all of my listeners to go explore that page because I think there are a lot of very intriguing ideas there and they'll provoke you they'll push you to think and reconsider certain things that you're doing and in a very positive helpful supportive way. So I love that that you're doing that work. Thank you for that. Something else that I would love to ask you about okay people who are struggling with their sexuality not because there are any direct sexual struggles but because of because they don't fit the conventional definition of attractive or their own definition of attractive perhaps i think in our current times um definition of attractive is i think now a little bit not a little bit actually a lot bigger like a lot more vast than previous times and it's also so cultural specific You know, back in the days like when I came to America and I went to college, white girls will get into like tanning beds to mm-hmm. get tanned. Yeah. But where I'm from, people bleach their skin yeah. to be yeah. white. Uh, so it's all very like cultural specific and also it depends on what industry you're in. I feel like if you're let's say you know you live modestly you have a 9 to 5 you're 
happy with where you're at, but then you turn on the TV and then you get you see these, you know, the Kardashians and these people. Like, yeah, it's going to affect you psychologically. You know, there's so many studies out there that show the media and its influence on young girls' perception of their bodies. But I think that those young girls then grow up to be adults that are still affected by those perceptions. Yeah, for sure. So ultimately, for me, uh, when I think about myself and like, you know, when I, I used to be really skinny, then I gain a lot of weight, then I kind of start eating more carefully, go to the gym. But now I would say I'm like average, you know, I'm definitely not like Kardashians. I'm just, I'm average and I'm happy and I'm content. I think it's moving from the idea of I'm ugly or I'm too fat or whatever to like, I'm okay. I'm okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of people don't teach that because, you know, you see these ads like Victoria's Secret or Dove, like love your body, love your skin. And it's all these people that are plus size and this and that. But I'm like, okay, so are you supposed to be Lizzo or Kardashian? And that's it. Like, what if I'm just kind of in between? What if I'm just like a little chubby? What if I'm, just, you know? And is it okay if I'm not like, yes, my body is a fucking goddess. Like, right. maybe that's okay. Like maybe just be okay with yourself and your body. So my my approach has been body neutrality over body positivity. And I think that it works for me. However, like we said before, right? Like whatever works for you works for you. If body positivity and those affirmations work for you, that's great right? It didn't work for me. So I had to find something else. And what works for me really well is body neutrality and just appreciating the functions that my body allows me to do. You know, eating amazing food, walking around, enjoying the sunshine, you know, having nipples, <laughs> having fingers to like hold things, touch things, hold my partner, like just appreciating it and just think, yeah, like, I'm okay. I look okay. I think that's as good as like, oh my God, I am a goddess. Right. Yeah. I think that just unnecessarily puts this pressure on you to say things that you don't actually agree with. And that's unnecessary. I think you're right. Body neutrality. It, that's the idea that I think we should carry that idea with us. That's one Path I like consider. it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. I like it too. But then when it comes to sexual performance and how you feel, do you think that people should wait to feel attractive before they make their sexual moves? Or do you think it's just something you have to work through as you go down that path? <laughs> That's such a good question. Wow. Yeah, that is a good question. I let me think about it. <laughs> sure. No, I think you can have sex without loving your body at the moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah makes sense yeah i don't think you have to wait until you feel attractive to have sex because i think yeah like maybe you feel you know mm, i don't feel that good that day but maybe you open up to the idea the possibility of pleasure and let's say you're with a partner that also prioritizes pleasure and really spends a lot of time in foreplay, in connection, like in kissing, in massaging, and you then end up feeling really good about yourself and the pleasure you get to experience in that sexual encounter, then that's good. It adds to the positive loop of sexual confidence and self-esteem. So I do think having good sex is possible without feeling super attractive. <laughs> That's helpful. And in fact, I would remind my listeners of this advice that you shared in the initial part of the of our conversation where you said that if someone doesn't make you feel good, then maybe you need to walk away. And I often, uh, you know, have conversations with my friends and they are in a new relationship and suddenly they are questioning how attractive they are. They're questioning their worth. And I always wonder if it's the guy, like this guy has come into their life and now he's, now they're saying these things they had never said before. But it's always very difficult to point that out to your friend because you want to be a supportive friend. You don't want yeah. your friend to get defensive and then find herself alone in that space. So 
I would not say that to my friends, but I would definitely say that to my listeners. Yeah. If you are with someone who is constantly making you feel un- unattractive, then maybe that's not the person you should be with, right? <laughs> oh my God, I have a friend that last year she was pregnant and one of the things that her partner said was just like, oh, I just don't like, I can't, we can't, I can't have sex with you because I just, I don't find you attractive. Whoa. And yeah, she was pregnant too. And I'm like, oh, that's so tough. Like she started crying and then screaming like, well, try have this baby yourself. Da, 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 da. And I just thought like, oh my gosh, this is, this is horrible because it's horrible for the baby. You know, all this cortisol from the mom to the baby and like just this whole experience of the partner saying hurtful things without thinking and being more mindful about their comments. Like maybe it is true. Maybe it is true that you just don't find your wife attractive or your whatever partner. But like because they're pregnant and because you didn't you don't have to say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course. Can you just shut up? Like sometimes <laughs> people are way too truthful. Like you don't need to be that truthful in that moment. <laughs> like I felt so bad because my friend called me and she's like, oh my God, he said I'm ugly. And I'm like, did he say you're ugly? And she's like, well, you know, she like he he just said I'm not attractive anymore. I'm like, holy shit. Like how dare him? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, to a pregnant mother, like you just don't do that maybe if you have a really close relationship with a friend and it's like a friend that cares about you maybe those types of comments are available but yeah that was just really hard to hear and you know sadly I can kind of almost predict that they won't be together that much longer yeah yeah that is oh my god I don't know how you I I have no idea how you handle that I've never been in a situation like that so when i i am a part of such a conversation it's like you love this person and then to have this person say such a thing to you how do you how do you handle it it's so it's horrible i remember uh, this episode in gray's anatomy gray's anatomy obviously you know covers such issues where this woman w- was getting a butt implant she was getting her butt enlarged and people were like why are you doing this you, you look fine you look okay you don't have to do this and everybody was like okay she clearly has a man in her life who prefers a larger butt and then she was like i'm doing this for me I've always wanted to wear these jeans and I've always wanted a big butt. I want it for myself. And I I thought that was like, I am not pro-surgeries. I'm not anti. I'm definitely anti-surgeries that are coming from a negative place where people are like, let me get this so I can hold on to this man. I'm completely 100% against that. I do not want people doing that. I wish I had the power to make it stop. But I thought that was a lovely idea. Like if this is how extreme I want to go to make myself feel good, then I'll do that. Yeah, that's I've never I've never seen that show. um, But that's such a good example is like sometimes people just want to do things for themselves. And why is it so hard to believe? Like, I don't need to do this to prove it to anybody. One, I'm trying to think, I think maybe now, like almost five years ago, one of my clients said, you know, I'm after two kids and I think they're like five, about five year old, five and six years old. She was like, yeah, I'm going to go get a boob job because Dave, like her pseudonym for her husband, Dave likes to joke that like, you know, he doesn't want to suck sacky potatoes. (laughs) And I'm like, holy shit, that's so hurtful. But she was saying it in a like a joking and laughing way. So I asked her, like, may I ask you, you know, even though he said this comment in a joking tone, did it feel in any way hurtful to you? And she was telling me no. Right. And, okay. You know, maybe it's the report in their relationship, but she's like, no, because I'm looking. That's the words I use, and he was just. like repeating it to me because she's like yeah like I look in the mirror I'm like my boobs like I she was like in college I literally had the best boobs and now my boobs just look like like sacking potatoes and so in bed he was just joking like well babe like you know if you want to get them done just go get them done I don't want to be sucking sacky potatoes so to me it was hurtful but to her it wasn't and I think that's a beauty of like the differences in humans 
yeah. is like some things maybe funny and hurt or and not hurtful to one person and some things can be triggering and hurtful to another so it just really depends i think this is why it's so important to always emphasize open-mindedness and communication within the relationship absolutely because there's no universal script for one relationship what works in one relationship may not work for another and i think that we may forget that sometimes because we have a lot of these like advice articles or self-help books that are like five rules of relationships and like might not work for some yeah, people. Of course. That's such generic advice. Yeah. Like if my husband ever say my boobs look like sacky potatoes, I will slap his balls. Like <laughs> <laughs> I will not yeah. take it. But, you know, for my f- client, it was just funny. Like, they had that kind of, like, really bro-y report. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, but then I, I, I think what you're also pointing out here is that they, they, the love was very much alive and well in that relationship. Yeah. It wasn't like he was turning away from her or telling her, to, you know, get out of bed. I don't want to be near right. you so I think that is the difference it may be a very fairy tale-ish idea but I think when somebody loves you it just is hard for them to see flaws in you I think that is true what they say that while they may support you and they may tell you they may hold you accountable to be a better human being and challenge you in those ways of course again love the def- definition of it differs for everyone but I don't think they'll be able to look at you and be turned off or disgusted by you I don't think that's possible I remember mm-hmm. having acne, all cystic acne, like an extreme case of cystic acne for many years of my life. And yes, it was hard for other people to look at it sometimes. I was even asked to leave certain public places. And that was that Whoa. was a difficult period. But my, my father would always really? look at where, where is this? So I, um, <laughs> throughout my, like as soon as I entered my adolescent, got like from here, from the top of my forehead to the bottom of my chin, I had cystic all over my face and if you've ever had a cystic acne they 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 like grow inside your skin so they take over like all that area around it also and it's red and purple and it just it it was difficult to look at sometimes because when they would be swollen and they would be pus it would and and it's not like I could stay at home and just not go out I would still have to go out so sometimes people would think I have some kind of a contagious skin disease and they would like chicken pox or something and they would ask me to leave and I would it it stopped bothering me I think after two three years because I was I was a student so I was focusing all of my energies on being like the best student possible but my parents would always be like we don't see it we they they would take me to the doctors wherever I wanted to go but they would my father would always remind me to me you're the most beautiful girl in the world and my mom would be like I can see like this acne bothers you but you have such beautiful eyes you have such beautiful smile and I think everybody sees that. And I'm like, no, you see it. But, <laughs> yeah. but that helped I, immensely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. It's it's that like love. Yeah. And from from parents. Um, it's easy to get it from parents, I mean, of course. Yeah. You and I are lucky. You know, we have loving parents. Some yeah. people have really brutal parents. Yeah. Like. I have a friend that her mom would always say like, oh, you're fat, like eat less, you know, here's like diet pills. Yeah, like that's embarrassing. Don't wear that, like cover this part or, you know. So yeah, if we're lucky, we get to be born in a loving family. And I think that help propels a lot of things. Yeah. In romantic relationship though, because, you know, when you're born in a family, you didn't have a choice. (laughs) But with a romantic relationship, you have to choose someone and you have to choose them every day. You have to choose to be with them and to, you know, connect with them and take care of them and help support them and the all of these things every single day. So I think it's a lot more like if you think about it in economic terms, like there's a lot more cost benefit analysis. Yeah, absolutely. For people to feel like, oh, I'm not attracted to my partner. We don't have good sex. We don't even, like, I don't even feel good when I come home. Like, I think for people, it's like a lot of cost, not a lot of benefit. And yes, there is love, but like, I don't know. Do you, do you believe in 
unconditional love in a romantic relationship? I I do. I think yes. I I believe. Well, that depends on your definition of unconditional. I don't think somebody who truly truly loves you would put up with shit that is just you know like for example, I have friends who would. Help their partners get out of debt, or remind them, no, you have to hold down this job because you gotta get out of debt. We have, we need to build a better life. And then there are friends, couples who would enable each other. Like, oh yes, it's okay to wind up on the floor, drunk out of your mind every single day. And to me, that is like that is not unconditional love to me. That is like two unhealthy people creating an unhealthy dynamic. But then there are people who love each other so much, they hold each other accountable. They do not agree with everything the other person says. They do not support unconditionally. They would demand for that person to be better. But in a in a loving way, it's like my love is not going to change for you, but you can do this. You have the potential for this. So why not go for it? Believe in you, that sort of thing. But again, I think these are, I am single. I, I decided to stay single. I decided not to get married. So I don't think, don't listen to me. I think I have very extreme <laughs> ideas. As I said, I read Ayn Rand when I was 11 years old. She brainwashed me so completely. And <laughs> I do deal in extremes. I have very high standards for myself and I hold myself to those standards and that makes my life difficult sometimes. And I do that to other people as well. I hold other people to very high standards and I, I sometimes think that's unfair but I don't think in a romantic relationship every single like you said you have to choose every single day every single day I don't think I could and I prefer solitude so that's just the option for me <laughs> my solitude makes me euphoric. Yeah. it's the source of my happiness so for me that was an easy choice because I know I didn't have to yeah. do the work that other people have to do so please be mindful to whoever is listening to if what I said appeals to you also remember I don't don't have to do the work I don't have to go through that emotional ringer every day like maybe perhaps you are doing so you go ahead and you talk about this because I think it makes (laughs) sense coming from someone who actually is doing the work you know it depends on the day to be honest (laughs) yeah some days I believe in unconditional love some days I don't and I think you're right it depends on how you view the word like conditional versus unconditional and and what actions is within those terms you know let's say if your partner you know cheats on you like right engages in infidelity but then come back and say like you know they have learned their lessons they are they feel extremely guilty they cry every day they want to they want you back they want your trust back like Let's say in this situation, do you go back to them and give them another chance because unconditional love, because you can give them a second chance and have them prove themselves? Or do you say no because you broke that trust? And for me, that trust means everything. So now um, this is not an investment I'm willing to make, like emotional investment and resources, right? right? Time. So me like dealing with couples that have sex issues every single day as a coach, it's kind of hard to feel like love is unconditional sometimes because there's so many people that, you know, want their partner to do ABC and, you know, they don't do it. They feel like they don't love them or they feel like they can't love them anymore and then there's also just lots of people engaging in infidelity. Right. You know, as a coach, like, of course, I'm a third party professional. Like, it's all confidential. If one partner tells me that, you know, they are engaging in an affair, they're having an affair, like, I'm not in a position to go tell the other person that that's what they're doing, even though they're in therapy together. And they're in this relationship coaching together. It's really hard. So on those days, it's hard for me to say that, you know, you should have unconditional love for your romantic partner. Um, I think ultimately, (laughs) it all kind of goes back to um, what I said before is listen to your body. Using the example before, like if taking them back feels really bad in the body like your stomach is tight and you your neck hurts your head hurts 
and your body is just rejecting, that's a good sign that like don't take him back. But if you feel at peace and you feel good and you're ready to forgive and give the relationship another try, and it feels good in your body, I think it's totally justifiable. And you are not, you know, undignified or stupid for you know going back to the relationship. So yeah, I think that's not a very satisfying answer, but I think it just depends. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I hope people that that stays with everyone listening because I think that's what it comes down to. I've had friends who tell me, yeah, he's not my prince charming, but he treats my parents so well. He he looks out for them. He he cares for my family. And that's it. That's all they need, and they're so happy with him. And then there's everything's right, and yet nothing's right. There are marriages like that also. So you are absolutely right. You cannot take someone else's definition of happiness and unconditional love and run your marriage or your relationship by that definition. That's not going to work. Okay, but we'll we'll bring this conversation to its conclusion with: if you could design a person from scratch, both male and female. And you wanted to infuse them with high sexual self-esteem, healthy sex life. What are the qualities these two beings would have? One male, one female. Okay, I would say for the female, would be she first. She knows her worth. She has high self-esteem. She feels comfortable in her own body of whatever shape and sizes. She projects herself positively in most settings, or neutrally if she doesn't feel very good, respecting her own feelings and boundaries. I would say she will engage in sexual encounters that she desires. She will focus on being in the present moment and feeling the pleasure in the body. Like in the sensations and being mindful during sex with the partner, she will express herself during sex. So that could be loud moaning, it could be soft moaning, it could be whatever that feels authentic to her. And she will communicate and advocate for herself in terms of whether or not this is the relationship that she wants and what kind of relationship that she wants and what quality she's. Desires from a partner and what she brings to the table. So I would say, to me, that is a sexually confident person. The big part that I will say for both is the ability to communicate for consent, and I think this is for both men and women. That you know, it's not just for men to ask for consent; like women should too. For a male, I would say. In my experience, a male who's sexually confident are a little bit more assertive. It doesn't mean that they are extroverted. You can be introverted and firm, right? Like assertive. So I think an assertive male that is comfortable with their own like masculine energy and feminine energy is a sexually confident man. Someone who very much like the woman, like you know, understands their body. They're comfortable. They communicate for what their desires and their boundaries. I guess the one different thing about the male sexual confidence versus the female is, I think there is something to be said about taking the lead and how authentic it feels. For like the feminine and masculine energy that we have had for thousands of years, and even in LGBTQ relationships, there is always an exchange of energy. And in a moment, one person is the leader. And so, if we're talking about heterosexual men, I would say taking the lead more often. Is a sexually confident man. I feel like I could talk about that forever, but it's like ultimately, I think being able to communicate and advocate for yourself and care for the other person is the most important thing. Well, what do you know? We've reached the end of this episode. 
Thank you so much for joining me today, for supporting the podcast and for sharing your time with me. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show on whatever podcast platform you love. You can also watch the video version of the interviews and most of the solo episodes on my YouTube channel. Link is in the episode description. Now, if you've made it this far, you must love the content at least a little bit, or maybe you just like hanging out with me, or there was something in this particular episode that resonated with you. Or maybe it's all of those things. I would love to know. So if you've got a minute, it will be great if you can drop a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can send me your thoughts on the show via email. Now, if you want content that goes deeper than even the podcast does with a lot of real life stories, one-on-one interactions, or just become part of my tribe, subscribe to my weekly newsletter. The link is in the episode description. Once again, thank you so, so much for sharing your time with me. Take care and I will be back soon with the next episode. Mm -hmm.